Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your guest host, Sue Tierney. This episode continues our month-long spin-off series called Big Decisions, the Future of U.S. Environmental and Energy Policy. Our regular hosts, Daniel Ramey and Kristen Hayes, are taking a well-earned month off, so we'll broadcast this special series in our same Resources Radio time slot every Tuesday in October and return to Daniel and Kristen in November. For this Big Decisions series, I have the pleasure of sharing guest hosting duties with Richard Newell. He's the president and CEO of RFF, leading expert on the economics of energy and the environment. Richard and I will have conversations with leading decision makers on both sides of the aisle, top analysts, scholars, and reporters to discuss the big decisions that will likely affect U.S. environmental and energy policy in the years to come. Please stay with us. My guests today are Jody Freeman and Jeff Holmstead. Besides being a friend of mine, Jody is a professor at Harvard who specializes in administrative law and environmental law. At Harvard Law School, Jody is the founding director of the Environmental and Energy Law Program, which focuses on climate and energy policy. She also established the law school's first environmental law clinic. I also count Jeff as a friend. He is an attorney with experience in both the government and the private sector. Not only is Jeff a member of RFF's President's Council, but he is also a partner at the Houston-based law firm Bracewell LLP, and he is a former assistant administrator at the EPA. Jeff was head of EPA's Office of Air and Radiation longer than anyone else in EPA history. Thank you so much for joining us, Jeff and Jody. I, I am personally delighted that you've joined us for this podcast. So let me start. Uh, we're going to continue with, with this big decision series by talking with the two of you about big environmental policy decisions in the upcoming administration. But before we go into that, let's kick things off with a question for each of you about each of you. What in your life steered you toward working on energy and environmental issues? Jody, let's start with you, and then Jeff, take it away. It's interesting. I wish I had one of these wonderful um, stories about how, you know, I was scuba diving in the Great Barrier Reef, and I had an epiphany or something about the future of the planet, but I don't. I have a really nerdy intellectual type answer, which is, you know, when I went into law and I thought that I would go into career in law teaching and I was interested in researching stuff, I thought, wow, this area of environment um, is so interesting because it's about everything. You know, it's about the economy and it's about poverty and it's about environmental protection and it's it's got everything in it, all the hard issues. And that was before climate change was really on the radar in this way. So I feel like I made a good bet um, on a set of issues that are challenging and hard and interesting. And then it only got it only got more interesting when climate change became such a focus. Yeah, you did choose a complicated area, but I'm sure it's fun every day. And Jeff, how about you? Well, my story is is very different. When I graduated from law school, I, I didn't even know there was such a thing as environmental law, and I certainly had no interest in anything having to do with the administrative law. 
but um, that hurts my heart, Jeff. <laughs> oh, I, I I can imagine, but but you'll feel better after I finish my answer because, sort of unexpectedly, I I ended up working uh, at least with an opportunity to interview for a job in the White House Counsel's Office during the George H. W. Bush administration, and when I interviewed with the White House Counsel, a fellow named Boyden Gray. Uh, he asked me if I would be willing to spend maybe half my time working on on regulatory issues. And I, I had no real interest, although I had clerked on the D.C. Circuit, so I had a bit of background. But I wanted to work in the White House, so I said, well, of course, I'd be happy to work on those issues. And um, you may remember that, that George H.W. Bush had campaigned in, in part on wanting to modernize the Clean Air Act, and the White House was was really very involved in all the details of negotiating the 1990 amendments. And I, I became the White House uh, staff lawyer, who was largely responsible for uh, working with EPA and 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 uh, in some ways trying to make sure that EPA didn't go off the reservation when it came to the 1990 amendments. And um, within just a few months, I was spending 90% of my time on environmental issues, mostly Clean Air Act issues, and they were the most interesting issues I had ever seen. And, and it was a combination of science and economics and, and policy and law and politics. And it was enormously interesting, and I realized it was enormously important. And uh, and so as a result of that sort of unexpected introduction, I I've spent most of my career working on Clean Air Act issues, and I, and I have to say I'm very happy it's worked out that way. That's great, and uh, Jeff, I should mention and give a shout out to Boyden Gray. He's a member of the board of RFF, so uh, all things come to pass. It's great. So let me start with a question that I find interesting for the two of you, because both of you had senior positions at the start of a new administration in Washington, and you both worked on environmental regulatory issues. So could you share some thoughts about what it's like for a new team to gear up when there is a change of administration, which of course could happen if Vice President Biden is elected? And how different do you think that that new administration would be if President Trump is reelected? And this time, let me start with Jeff. So I experienced the transition from from Clinton to George W. Bush, and um, that was back in a time when I think things weren't quite so polarized as they are today. So when when I when I came into EPA at the beginning of that administration, there were certainly things that we would have done differently had we been in charge of EPA, but there was not a sense that we needed to go in and undo things that had been done. Um, you know, there was the Tier 3 regulations, there was a relatively new NACs on PM 2.5 and ozone. Those issues had been decided. Um, some of them were still being litigated, but but there was never a sense that we had to, you know, review everything that had been done, because for the most part, we believe that they should be implemented and enforced. So, you know, there was one big exception. You may remember on 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 her way out the door, uh, Carol Browner had made the the first appropriate and necessary determination uh, dealing with with uh, with the regulation of air toxics from the power sector, and and that is one thing that we did reverse. Um, but other than that, you know, we came in looking at what the president had said during the campaign. 
uh, including his his I think somewhat ill-advised campaign promise that he was going to promote a a four P bill to regulate uh, SO2 and NOx and mercury and CO2 from the power sector. Um, and you know there was certainly a lot of discussion about whether we really should include CO2 in that. But um, you know for the most part we came in. Uh, and I had many of my own ideas about regulatory reform, and the president had uh, a few priorities that were important to him. Um, I, I, I do think it's very different now, and I, I think if President Trump is reelected, uh, it, it will be a continuation of what we had seen. I don't think there'll really be a, a change in direction at all. Um, but if 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 uh, Mr. Biden is elected. I, I think we will see something similar to what we saw in the beginning of, of the Clinton administration, where there was a real rush to undo um, many of the things that had been done. So I, I think the world is different now, and I think the election will have enormous consequences for what happens at EPA. Thanks, Jeff. And Jody, you started out in the transition in the White House uh, under Governor, Governor, excuse me, President <laughs> Obama. <laughs> you want to share some thoughts about that time? Yeah, what I would say about that time was it was it was both um, daunting and exhilarating because if you remember, you know, the economy had essentially gone off a cliff. Now, of course, what's happening now to us with the um, COVID nineteen pandemic plus the economic consequences actually dwarfs uh, that. But it was it was very serious at the time, and so there was this sense of urgency around the economy, and there were um, so many. Uh, hard things that had to be done right away. And I think on these issues of environment and climate in particular, there was a real sense of urgency at the start of the Obama years because from our perspective, the George W. Bush administration had done a lot of things that we felt we needed to reverse. So for example, the as you remember, um, Bush had withdrawn the United States from the Kyoto Protocol formally. Um, he had reversed his initial policy that carbon dioxide was a pollutant and that it should be regulated, um, that, you know, originally candidate Bush had supported a, a plan to regulate power plant CO2. And Christy Whitman, this is going back, of course, quite a ways, but Christy Whitman had thought that EPA would take that on and help get that legislation passed to do that and implement it. And in the meantime, Mass versus EPA, the big Supreme Court case had been decided in 2007, which was the real game changer when the Supreme Court uh, said that um, EPA, in fact, does have authority to regulate greenhouse gases as pollutants and sent the decision whether to make an endangerment finding um, or not uh, and explain it again back to the EPA. And all that was waiting for President Obama and his team. And Obama on the campaign trail had said, look, we are going to take a look at this endangerment finding question, which is the predicate to regulating greenhouse gases, finding that uh, they endanger health or welfare. And we're going to uh, look again at uh, the Bush administration's decision to deny California a waiver to set its own greenhouse gas standards for vehicles and and on, on and on it went. And the agenda, if you remember, both McCain and Obama um, when running for president in 2008 had said they wanted to do something serious about climate change, both candidates. It's almost unthinkable now. You almost can't remember that, um, that both the Republican side and the Democratic side said this is a priority issue. And McCain was credible on it because, you know, he'd sponsored, co-sponsored a bill in Congress. Um, in any event, uh, climate was at the top of the priority list except for two things uh, when we came in. And the other two things were, one, the economic 
collapse that had to be fixed. And um, so the administration had to figure out how to do a recovery bill very quickly. And the other thing was, of course, health care. And healthcare was a core democratic issue. So those took precedence a, a little bit ahead of climate change. But it was exhilarating because right away in the transition, um, we knew that our area, climate and energy, was going to be important. There was a new Office of Energy and Climate Change in the White House, which is, in fact, where I worked, where I was deputy and where I was counselor for energy and climate change. So it was probably the most exhilarating thing I'd ever done. Unlike Jeff, I hadn't been involved in prior administrations. You know, I'm just a mild-mannered law professor, and this was an opportunity to be part of something really exciting, to be involved in governance, and to start at a you know reasonably high level. Pretty daunting, but um, super exhilarating. The, the the one thing I'd say, Sue, in response to your question about what happens in this transition if there is one to a Biden White House, um, I don't know what Jeff thinks about this, but I think there are some shenanigans in every transition, sort of some pranking and a little bit of um, some would call it vandalism. Some would call it, uh, um, you know, kind of pranking. But you know, there were jokes about how the W's got removed from the keyboards when, um, when the um, Clinton administration was uh, waiting for George W. to come in. Stuff like that. The stories that get told about this stuff. But I would say that what you count on in a transition is that the outgoing administration will ease the way and provide uh, memos and pre-clearances, you know, get lists going for people who are going to need security clearances and do all kinds of stuff to pave the way and make it smooth. And agencies write playbooks and summaries and memos to help the incoming team. And I think that the George W. Bush administration got huge credit for its enormously graceful handling of the transition to Obama. Um, and they were classy and they did the work and they put the Obama administration on a good footing. And I see none of that very likely to happen if the Trump team is handing over to a Biden team. I think we will have a transition that will be enormously challenging. There will have been no cooperation, no help. And I think that will put the Biden team in a, in a position where they've got to work doubly hard to, to take the reins. Yeah, I'm going to just do a, an underscoring of what you said, Jody. Um, I had the honor of co-chairing the a transition team at the Department of Energy, and the the Bush team did a beautiful job of getting things ready for the new crowd, and so that was that was a really great thing at the time. It's really nice to hear you saying nice things about the George W. Bush administration. I, I'm sorry that I had left EPA by that time, so I can take <laughs> I can take no no credit for it. I I, I did want to just make a quick comment. I think the transition, if there is a transition from the Trump administration to a Biden administration, it will be very different from the previous transition from Obama to Trump because the Biden administration has a well-organized transition team. Uh, and, and I'm obviously not involved, but I'm aware that, that they've thought through a lot of issues. They've anticipated what the priorities will be, what the things they need to deal with. And because the Trump campaign was so unusual and had uh, effectively um, invented its own playbook, it just didn't have any of that. And so the transition was a long and difficult one, not, not so much because the Obama administration hadn't cooperated, but because they just they really didn't have people who were ready to step in uh, and who had experience and who had spent time thinking about the issues. So I, I think 
if there is a transition, it will be quite different from the last one. It strikes me that what you're describing, both of you, is uh, potentially the difference between someone who runs for office and doesn't expect to win and someone who has governed previously and, uh, and not, in, in, yeah, out of the and, White House. Yeah, not just governed, right, but the, the, the Biden folks, they know their way around the West Wing. I mean, they, they, it's not just that they have governed in some capacity. They, they've been in the White House and and know how to do what they need to do. I think, I think that, and I'm, and I'm certain the transition team is hard at work and has been for some time, but it's just, it's just tougher when the outgoing folks are trying to jam the gears. And I'm pretty skeptical uh, about this outgoing set of folks, that they'll be helpful at all. Well, let me turn from that. Jody, you mentioned that uh, when you were working in the White House, it was, you know, the stressful time associated with the collapse of the economy. And one could say that right now it's an extraordinarily unprecedented time with so many sources of stress, whether it's COVID, uh, our new chapter of economic distress, the protests over racial injustice, certainly the impacts of extreme weather events in a lot of different parts of the country. And let me just throw in there the changes on the Supreme Court. So I wonder if each of you would comment about how you think one or another of those important sources of stress could affect uh, governance issues related to environmental protection in the upcoming period. And this time, let me start with Jody, and then we'll turn to Jeff. The way I think about the collection of issues right now that are that are waiting for a Biden administration, if he is uh, successful, is that it's going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant. I mean, th th it feels to me right now like um, everything that was happening to the Obama folks, but on steroids. So you don't just have an economy in real trouble. You have an economy in, in a dire condition that's been shut down now for about six months in significant respects. You've got a pandemic, a historic pandemic that uh, nobody can think of an analogy to, right? Unless you go back to, I think it's 1918. I mean, it's, it's an, an, an incredibly challenging time. Anybody who, who takes the reins now is walking into this set of challenges. And um, here we are at a time when climate change is making um, the world just more challenging because of a number of natural disasters that are worse because of a warming planet. So more intense hurricanes, um, more intense fires, a longer fire season, all the things we're experiencing are just worse because of developments of, in the world of climate. So I think what I'm trying to say is everything looks like it's on fire for the new president. Um, and I think it's going to be very challenging to figure out uh, what to do in what order. And remember, presidents have like 18 months before the midterms. And so you've got to figure out what your priorities are. And I think the Biden team is probably going to really focus on um, on the pandemic, getting the country healthy again and getting the economy back to work. And then they've also made a lot of important pledges on climate action. So how to do all that at the same time is going to be hard and they're going to be really busy. And I think the um, shift in the Supreme Court also presents um, some real questions that have to be answered. You hear a lot of talk about if Mitch McConnell succeeds in getting Amy Coney Barrett confirmed and, you know, we're recording this and we don't know, the hearings are coming up. But um, if that happens, there will be a big reaction among Democrats that this was um, put through and some will feel quite illegitimately so. And there's talk of things like court packing and, um, you know, what can be done to 
counteract the fact that there's a sixth conservative justice. And there's just a lot of conversation about this. So, you know, I think, I think questions will arise about what the right response is. Um, for, for energy and environment and climate, I think a sixth conservative justice uh, will make a big difference in the sense that it will cement a trajectory that already is happening on the court. And I'm curious to hear Jeff's views about this too. Um, I, I think the court already is um, skeptical about broad agency regulation. Um, I think that the court will not be very welcoming when agencies come, whether it's in the environmental arena or any other regulatory arena, and say, um, we are interpreting our statute in a forward-leaning uh, way to deal with new problems. I think the court wants to see very clear textual assignments of authority and will send these things back to Congress. I think that's already the way the court was going. And I think Amy Coney Barrett, given her view of statutory interpretation, um, how she signaled she's really um, approaches statutes and constitutional interpretation in the mold of Justice Scalia, I think we can expect that she will take a skeptical eye to ambitious agency regulation and I think all told, that is probably um, not going to be helpful for people who want uh, to see the EPA uh, use the Clean Air Act to address climate change aggressively. So I, I think if you if you add up all of these things, right, all of the challenges facing the president, plus this development on the Supreme Court, um, plus a Congress that has so far not shown that it can pass legislation to deal with climate change or energy challenges, um, you have a major policy, a set of policy challenges that I think the administration will be wrestling with right out of the gate. Okay, Jeff, you get some equal time here. <laughs> um, I, I will start by, by saying that I, I largely uh, agree with with what Jody said. Um, but but let me I make, make, I think, a, a comment that she didn't quite say, and that is, I think for people who are intensely interested in environmental issues and in, especially in climate change, it, 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 it may be a little frustrating. Um, they've focused on what uh, the Vice President Biden has said about climate change and people are intensely interested in, in, in that and, and what they can do. But of necessity, as Jody said, the White House is going to have other priorities dealing with the pandemic, dealing with the economic situation. Um, as, as much as, as those of us on, on this, uh, in this chat care about climate change, it, it's, it's, it's not a top tier issue for most average Americans. And I think there will be political and economic necessities with it will keep the Biden administration focused on the pandemic, on the economy, um, maybe on health care. And, um, and I, and I and I think that may be a little frustrating uh, to to people who are really expecting a focus on on climate change and some version of the of the of the Green New Deal of a, a, a Biden I think more more thoughtful version. Um, what I what I would say is I I would expect um, people at EPA will will largely go about the, the business of implementing the, the programs that they have and using the, the authorities that they have. So I don't, I don't think 
at EPA will distract them very much. I, I think the career professionals at EPA are actually pretty amazing, and no matter who is in charge, they do their best to help them make good decisions and to implement their their priorities, and I think that will happen at EPA. But I think for any big, ambitious new things that require a lot of political investment by the White House, I, I just don't think we're going to see that in the in the first couple of years if, if there is a Biden administration. Um, you, you know, I, I guess... Maybe since Jody talked a bit about the Supreme Court, maybe maybe I should go ahead and just sure. talk, talk a bit about that, too. Um, I also agree that the Supreme Court, regardless of whether um, we have an, a, a sixth conservative justice, I, I think is going to be skeptical of of regulatory imperialism, where agencies are attempting to use creative new interpretations of of old statutes to deal with new problems and you know Jody and I have had this conversation over the years I, I know she is um, was very supportive of the clean power plan I, I I thought it went beyond EPA statutory authority I, I'm quite confident that that this Supreme Court would agree with me and and not with and not with Jody and and I think that off the bat creates um, a, a real a real challenge for a Biden EPA because um, you know obviously depending on a little bit on what happens with the with the current ACE case and whether there's a decision and so on and so forth but um, if that issue is remanded back to EPA they will have to decide whether to use the clean power plan structure to to try to come up with a, a, a an aggressive um, uh, cost-effective way to deal with climate change, and that will require significant time and effort and resources. And are are they really going to do that, knowing that there is a very high likelihood that it won't stand up in the Supreme Court? So I I, I think those kinds of issues are going to be issues that that a Biden EPA would have to deal with. Um, I I I don't think that a a, a a conservative Supreme Court is going to be opposed to environmental regulation. And I, I point out to people that Justice Scalia very famously authored the decision in ATA versus Whitman that said, you know, EPA, when you're setting the NAC standards, you're not allowed to consider cost. You can only look at, at, the, at the health effects. So I, I think that they will do their best to, to see that agencies implement the statutes consistent with congressional intent, but I do think that that will make it challenging to have the kinds of creative approaches that that we saw at least with the with the clean power plan. And and, and let me just make one other quick comment about the Supreme Court. I, I also think that um, for all of the climate litigation that's going on, and there are many many different types of cases out there. But I, I think ultimately those issues will go to the Supreme Court, and I think um, it will be clear that the courts are not the place that are where judges are going to be dealing with the solutions to climate change. I think all of this means that it's going to be put squarely back in the lap of Congress, and uh, and that's the branch that's going to have to. I mean, e- EPA can certainly do some things, but I think ultimately uh, we'll be we should all be looking to Congress and and and. Uh, and and hoping to come up with the kinds of solutions that can get enough votes to uh, to pass and be and be and be durable. Yeah, I would I would just say, Sue. I think Jeff and I actually agree on on this that um, the the best solution is for Congress to 
to do something uh, about climate change and energy policy in a in a thoughtful way. And um, to my mind, Congress has just been out of action. And I think we, you know, the executive branch has felt that this is something that's important and we ought to use existing authorities to the extent we can to deal with it, Clean Air Act being the most potent authority. And I would expect a Biden administration to try to do both things at once. That is to use the Clean Air Act to set sectoral standards, you know, for the transportation sector and for the electric power sector um, and the oil and gas sector and so on, which is well within its authority. And then also I would expect the administration to be trying to get through Congress a bill that prices carbon, you know, whether it's a uh, back to a cap and trade approach or carbon tax, whatever the policy might be, I think they're going to try to advance legislation. To my mind, it's going to be tough politics to get through something really comprehensive. It might wind up being a smaller bite. You know, we might wind up seeing a clean energy standard for which you might be able to attract Republican support because we we have Republican states that have renewable portfolio standards where they've been very successful. There's some reason to believe that a clean energy standard could be bipartisan. Um, then you could imagine a lot of climate and energy policy being done through the Recovery Act, like we did in the Obama administration with billions of dollars being you know, put into advanced battery technology and smart grid and so on, so that you could do a combination of spending, legislation, and regulation that would really advance the ball on climate and energy policy. Um, so I would just say, don't be looking necessarily for one sweeping thing, but look for look for a combination. Thanks for that, Jody. And Jeff, do you want to just uh, have anything in response to that before I ask you guys your last question? You know, the, the only thing I would say is that I, I am perhaps a little more optimistic than Jody is about the likelihood of Congress passing some sort of comprehensive climate change legislation. Um, I'm, I'm not a Pollyanna. I, I know that there are challenges, but I, I think that there are many people in the business community who uh, believe that climate change is an important issue to deal with and that would like to have some longer-term certainty that can only come with legislation. Um, you know, we, we certainly saw some of that back in the days of Waxman-Markey, but I, I think the um, the proportion of the business community that sees this as an important issue and that would like to have some longer-term certainty means that there would be uh, support not just in the environmental community but also in the business community to to have some sort of um, comprehensive climate legislation. So I, I, I certainly don't rule that out, although I, I, I recognize that it will not be the highest priority issue for a new administration or a new Congress. But once the economy is back on, on a little more solid ground, I think that's something that, that could happen. Well, you guys, this is you've just shown our listeners about why it is so wonderful to have a chance to listen to thoughtful, smart attorneys who are deeply steeped in administrative law, where so much action occurs in the federal government. Um, but the best part is not only you two are both brilliant, but how courteous you both are and what a nice, refreshing thing it is to have people uh, with different points of view or areas of commonality, but who have uh, respect for each other. So thank you very much for that. Are you saying it's not always like that? Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> so let me turn to the final question that is the standard one at the end of 
Resources Radio, and it's called What's at the Top of Your Stack. So tell us something that you have either read, watched, heard about recently related to energy, the environment, or the democratic process that you think is really interesting and that you would recommend to our listeners. And Jeff, let me begin with you. Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, I, I, I'm happy to give you a recommendation of a wonderful book I just finished Good. reading, but it has nothing to do with energy and the environment. Well, you, but, if it um, was wonderful, let's let the listeners know. You've probably already read it because it's it's been around for a while, but my wife convinced me to read Ann Patchett's This is the Story of a Happy Marriage, and I... Uh, it was fabulous, and I it, and it uh, it made me think seriously about a lot of things. So I do highly recommend that. You know, the other thing, and again, I'm way out of date <laughs> in terms of an energy issue. Um, I thought the Netflix series on Chernobyl was one of the best um, pieces of art I've I've ever seen. Um, I I understand that it may not have gotten all the details right, but I think it. Um, maybe had much less to do with nuclear power and much more to do with different types of governments and the way they they treat their their people but i thought that was a remarkable show and anybody who has not uh watched it should should certainly do so i totally agree and jody how about you well i'm going to give a plug to my wonderful colleague richard lazarus's book uh about uh the history of massachusetts versus epa which you know, is widely viewed as the most important environmental law case ever uh, that the Supreme Court decided. And, and it, it's called The Rule of Five. And it's just a great chronicle written for a lay audience about this very exciting case and the main players and how we came to a, a closely decided um, Supreme Court decision in which John Paul Stevens managed to attract the swing vote of uh, Justice Kennedy and write an opinion that EPA has authority to regulate greenhouse gases. And I, I just think it's a terrific book. So I want to give him a plug, and he's a wonderful guy. The, the, I do want to recommend a TV show, though, just because in COVID-19, you know, it's very important when one shares what they're watching. And I am obsessed by Borgen, which is a show about Danish politics. It's kind of like House of Cards, but softer and gentler and kinder, um, all uh in Denmark and and it's dubbed and it's uh, it's fantastic. So look at Borgen. That's my big that's my big uh, insight. Wow, that's great. Both both are uh, wonderful recommendations from both of you. And I I'm just going to add two things to the TV viewing audience. Um, okay, I'm a Schitt's Creek fan, so there oh, yeah. you go. I Definitely. loved it. Definitely. And I also have loved Watchmen. Uh, I, I loved that graphic novel, and the series is pretty powerful. And with that, let me thank you guys again for joining us this week. I feel like we are so honored to have had your thoughtful attention and time, so thank you very much, Jody Freeman and Jeff Holmstead. You've given us a lot of food for thought, and it's going to be interesting to see what happens in the coming months. Thanks. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks for having us, Sue. Great to talk to you. You've been listening to Resources Radio. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. Resources Radio is a podcast from Resources for the Future. RFF is an independent nonprofit research institution in Washington, D.C., 
Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. Learn more about RFF at rff.org. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. In fact, RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Watson with music by Daniel Ramey. Please join us next week for another episode.